Lord, I bow before you. I bow before your word. I pray that you would keep me from error. I pray, God, that you would keep me from from my own opinions and from my own ideas. But that everything that I say today would be rooted and grounded in your holy word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to again welcome you this morning. We are continuing our exposition of the Gospel of John. We've been looking at this multitude that has been miraculously fed by Jesus, some 10 to 20,000 people fed miraculously by Jesus. We've been looking at their response to Jesus and his miracle for the past few weeks. This multitude is now a crowd. It's no longer thousands upon thousands, but it's a crowd. And they're coming to Jesus the next day because they're looking for breakfast, right? Jesus gave them a good dinner. The next day, they go to great lengths to find Jesus because they want bread. Jesus has put his deity on display, and their response to his deity, or to this display, is, give us more bread. As we come to verse 41, we are approaching the continuing discourse or discussion, but more specifically, sermon that Jesus is having with the crowd about the subject of bread. Jesus has shifted their attention or attempted to shift their attention from physical bread that they think they need to spiritual bread that he knows that they need. More specifically, the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this gospel, the gospel of John, we see over and over again a number of I am statements in the Greek ego imi. We see a number of these I am statements. Jesus is is identifying himself as the I am of the Old Testament, Yahweh of the Old Testament. He will say, I am the water. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Many I am statements in the Gospel of John. But in this specific passage, Jesus is pointing out another I am. I am. He is the bread of life. And with this claim. Jesus is saying that he is the satisfier of the soul. When he says, I am the bread of life, he is saying he is the satisfier of the soul. He is the one that satisfies human need from a spiritual point of view. Just as food satisfies the body, so Christ does ultimately, finally, and everlastingly satisfy your soul. This is the statement that Jesus makes when he says, I am the bread of life. Now, when we come to verse 41, we find ourselves in the middle of this sermon being preached. And it's actually a sermon that lasts all the way to verse 71. But the whole chapter is being built up to this sermon. The whole chapter from verse 1 all the way to this point is climaxing to this sermon that Jesus is giving. The spectacular feat that Jesus gave them was a sign. But as we said last week, the sign was not enough to save. The sign was great. But the sign pointed to who? The Savior. The sign points to the Savior. And they would only be saved if they believed upon the one who performed the sign. You don't just see the sign and say, wow, you look to the person who performed it and there you place your faith. In verse 35, when Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life and those who come to him will never go hungry and those who come to him will never thirst 
they began to challenge him. Why were they challenging him? They were challenging him not because of the sign, but because of the claim. Think about that. They were, they were not worried about the sign. They were more so concerned about the claim. They basically said to him, if you think you're something special, Moses fed us for 40 years when we were in the wilderness. Top that. They, we learned last week that this crowd has a wicked response to Christ by asking him to do what? To prove himself. Prove yourself. Moses did this. He fed us bread from heaven. Moses gave us bread from heaven. What are you going to do? Now, Jesus had already proven himself, but they were asking for more. Instead of a miracle, Jesus gives them an invitation. Instead of here's another sign, Jesus says, here's an invitation. And the general invitation was that those who come to him would never thirst and never hunger again. They did not understand this call. They did not respond to this call. We learned last week because they're spiritually blind. Spiritually blind people walking in the darkness and thinking they could see. How many people do you know like that? Walking in darkness, thinking that they can see clearly. He was giving them spiritual food, but they did not think that they were in need of any spiritual food. They thought they knew they were physically hungry. They knew that their tummies were grumbling, but they did not know that their soul was starving. They thought they were fine. Jesus obviously knew their need, and that is why he's focusing on the subject of bread, because all they can think about is bread. So let me switch your physical idea of bread to a spiritual idea of bread. He is, he says, I am the bread of life. They were unwilling and unable to see Christ for who he really was because of their blindness. They refused to believe in him. They were far too blind to see in Christ any spiritual satisfaction. And you can't feed someone who's not hungry. That's right. If they don't understand that they're spiritually hungry, then they will refuse any kind of spiritual food that you give them. How many times do you try to sit across the table with someone or have a spiritual conversation with them? And what's the first thing they say? I don't have time for it. I know where you're going to go. I know what you're going to say. I don't want to talk about it right now. What are they basically saying? I'm not as hungry as you think I am. <laughs> And all the while, you can see that they are anorexic in their spirit. That's, right. Amen. That's why when we present the gospel to people, we don't go to them and tell them how much Jesus loves them. That's right. Because if they know that Jesus loves them so much, then why do I need to change anything? I haven't changed anything and he still loves me. I haven't changed my lifestyle and he loves me, then I can keep living the way that I live. Instead, we present to them, the wrath of God is upon you because you are apart from Christ. And because you are apart from Christ, there is no peace with you and God. Therefore, you need God because you will not live forever. And when you die, you will endure the, the wrath of God. Right. So you are in great need right now. Yes. You are in desperate need right now. If you yes. do not turn to Christ, yes. the wrath of God is upon you. Yes. That makes it a little bit more dire when you talk to someone about their need for Christ, doesn't it? Yes. Instead of Jesus loves you, they say, I know. Yes. But when you say to them, the wrath of God is upon you, they'll say, no, it's not. Yes. Now you're challenging what they think they don't need. That's why we come to them that way. Yes. What is Christ offering? He's offering himself. He was offering himself. 
He was offering bread that never goes bad. He was offering bread that, that always satisfies the soul. And Christ, in his love, continues to give the general offer of the gospel to the crowd. And the crowd's response is this hostility, growing hostility toward Christ. They could not take their minds off of bread. Every time that they said every time that Jesus said bread, all they could think of was, where's bread? You have bread. Where's the bread? Show me the bread. Remember that old Burger King commercial? Where's the beef? If you're old like me, you'll remember what that is. The old lady, where's the beef? Anyways. As we pick up this story, as we pick up this sermon in verse 41, we will see the reaction. Number one, we will see the rebuke of Christ and we will see the restatement of Christ. These are the three points for today. We will see the, re- the reaction to Christ, the rebuke of Christ and the restatement of Christ. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter six, verse 41. I was going to try to be ambitious this morning and get through 20 verses. I could only get through 10. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they all be taught by God. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen or anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. The crowd's reaction, number one. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, how does he now say, I came down from heaven? Why did they go seeking after Jesus to the extent that they would get into boats and travel in order to find Jesus, what were they looking for? Food. They go to the extent of seeking Christ to the extent that they would go into boats to find him. And then now when they do find him, they are complaining. They are grumbling. They are whispering their displeasure about him. But why are they complaining? Why this reaction? Here it is. Because Jesus has apparently made something very clear to them. Verse 27 of chapter 6. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Are you getting the point? Verse 35. I am the bread of life. Are you getting the point? Here's another one for you. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven. Here's the point that he's making. You're not getting no more bread. That's the point. Because I'm the bread. You keep asking. I know what you want. Here's my point to you. You're not getting no more. At all. You've got your fill. And it begins to dawn on the people. Wait a minute. 
you're not going to give us any more bread, are you? No, I've got something better for you. I am the bread of life. Can you imagine having this great meal the day before going to great lengths to find him, knowing that he can do what he did yesterday, but he's not going to because he's trying to tell you there's something better and it's me. He just shattered all of their misconceptions and all of their expectations. He shattered all of their hopes for physical food. You're not getting no. How do you feel when you know you're not eating today? Okay, now imagine them. You're not going to eat. I had great fish and and bread for you yesterday. Today, I've gotten me. And I'm enough. We've gotten into our boats. We've sought after you. And now you're telling us no more bread. And not only that, but you're also telling us you've come down from heaven. How often have you been disappointed because Jesus has said this to you? I'm all that you're going to get. And I'm all that you need. Would you have come to him if that's all he offered you himself? Would you have come to him if that is all he offered you himself? Let, let me let me fill you in on the secret. That is all he's offering you is himself. Oh, there is much more that comes with that. But ultimately... He's offering himself. Is he good enough? Or are you like most people who have to fight with the temptation to be satisfied with Christ because we are so easily tempted to replace him with bread? You fill in the blank of what your bread is. We so easily are tempted to fight with the temptation to replace him with bread. And you know what your bread is. You know what the thing is that you struggle to say, I really, really want this. I know I'm supposed to want Jesus, but I really, really want this. And I wish he would give it to me instead of saying, I really want him. And if that comes, then that's fine. But more so, I want him. These people think about this. These people would have followed any one of the disciples if they had shown the ability to create bread. They would have followed any of them, any of them. They were they were they could have cared less about Christ. If another, if Philip or Bartholomew or, 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 or Peter would have been able to show that he could create bread, they would have went to them. Because it was not about Christ, it was about bread. Not only did he say he was the bread, but he said something else. And did you just say that you came down from heaven? Is that what you just, did you, did you just say you're from heaven? Who do you think you are? I know you. I know your father, Joseph. I know your mother as well. You're telling me that you came from heaven and they became hostile toward Jesus. This is growing hostility. And you, you and I know that there has to be growing hostility because this would eventually lead to his crucifixion. So everywhere that Jesus goes, he's creating hostility. What hostility? Why hostility? They're not concerned with the deeds. They're concerned with his claims. They were fine with the miracles of Christ. It was he could do miracles all day long. No one ever complained when he was multiplying food. But when he says, I'm from heaven, everybody puts on the brakes and says, wait a minute. Who do you think you are? They're not offended by the miracles of Jesus. He could have done them all day long. 
But when Jesus starts to make claims about who he is and when Jesus starts to make demands on your life and what he expects out of his followers, that's when people start tripping over this rock called Jesus. Today, the same thing happened. Unbelief did not come until uh, become from the deeds of Christ. Unbelief came from the claims of Christ. They saw what he did. They just didn't believe who he was. When he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now they're offended. It's the same thing today. It's the same thing today. They can see the miracle that has happened in your life. But when you start to make claims about who Jesus is and what he demands out of all people, they don't want anything to do with that. People love their sin. Their sin is their bread. They want their sin or their bread more than they want Christ. And as long as they can have more bread or sin, I don't need Christ right now because I'm being filled up with this bread. As long as he was stuffing their faces, they were fine. But when he stopped doing that, then they began to reject him and be hostile toward him. He said in verse 38, here's the claim. I've come down from heaven not to do the will of, of not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son of man or son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So no more bread and you're from heaven. Do you think you're some kind of savior or something? Again, it's the same rock that people trip on. You can talk to people about Jesus and they're going to say he's a good man. He had good teachings. But when you start to talk to them about him being the only way, now you're too too narrow minded. When you start to talk about Jesus being the only way and all other religions are false, then now people start to say, what's wrong with you? How could you say something like that? Everyone wants God. Everyone is is praising God in their own way. No. If they are not praising Christ, then Paul says in the book of Corinthians that they're praising demons. If you are not worshiping Christ, then you're worshiping demons. What about the people in animistic cultures that are worshiping God? They know and they have some sense of God. No. If they're not worshiping Christ, then they're worshiping demons. How do you worship a tree? How do you worship the sun? How are you going to worship the moon? How are you going to pray to rain gods? You're praying to demons. Yes. Yes, it's true. The Hindus have thousands upon thousands of gods. What are they worshiping? They're worshiping demons. That's right. Who is who? Who are the 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 people of Islam worshiping? They're worshiping a devil. Isn't it interesting that Muhammad and Joseph both saw the same kind of vision, and they are both worshiping false gods? Mm -hmm. I have heard it said that it is it is probably. Probable that the same demon, we heard this in, our, in our, our, our video this past week, the same demon that appeared to Joseph and Muhammad may be the same demon that, the, the same demon that appeared to both of them. Disguising himself as an angel of light. They're not worshiping God. You can't worship God apart from Christ. Do you understand that? You can't worship God apart from Christ. They are one and the same. So, I want you to think about this though. The response that Jesus gives to their complaint is this. He does not go to great lengths to clarify who he is or what he really means. Think about that. They have a complaint. They're concerned. They're grumbling. And Jesus does not go to the extent of saying, let me clarify what I mean. Instead, he does the opposite. Where there is confusion, listen, Christ appears to add to the confusion. So that they can become more confused. 
He doesn't go to great lengths to clarify their confusion. He keeps talking to make them more confused. Why? Because they had already hardened their hearts to the truth. Because they had already hardened their hearts to the truth. They, they, they had only seen Christ on merely a human level. He's the son of Joseph. We know his father and mother. That's all he is. So that's who you think I am. They knew that he was from Nazareth and they despised the town of Nazareth. Everyone hated. Hey, can anything good come from, come from Nazareth? They knew who he was. They knew where he came from. Just like the Jews in Galilee, they hardened their hearts against their Messiah who called them to what? Faith and repentance as a prerequisite to entering the kingdom of God. And they rejected that. They hardened their hearts to this truth and refused to believe the teachings of Christ. So what did he do? He made his truth more obscure. (laughs) The parables are great examples of this. Jesus keeps things from the wise and prudent and gives them to who? To the babe and the suckling. Matthew 13.10, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? Everyone's confused. No one knows what you're talking about. And he says to them in Matthew 13, 10, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but it has not been granted to them. What? You mean Jesus is not going to speak in such a way that everyone can understand him? And when you don't understand, he's going to bring it to the side and explain it all to you so that you get it? No. He says to you, the ones he has chosen, the ones that are his, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to those who don't. It's not. It's not been given. Interesting. For whoever has, listen to this, what he goes on. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. You understand? You'll, be, you'll get more understanding. And to him, who ha- and, and he will have an abundance of what? Of understanding what God has said. Listen to this though. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. What? What? You mean to tell me that if you don't understand, you'll understand even less? Yes, that's what he's saying. Therefore, he says, I speak to them in parables. Why? Because, therefore, or because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear nor understand. Listen to this. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Listen to this. You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull with their ears. They scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand the truth. And then I would heal them. If they heard, if they saw, if they understood, I would heal them. But in order that they don't be healed, I keep them from seeing. I keep them from hearing and I keep them from understanding. Why? So that they won't be healed. God does that. God purposely keeps the reprobate in the dark. God purposely keeps the unelect in the dark. Amazing. Those who have been called by God, he has given the light of the gospel. They can see and understand and receive even more understanding. Those who have not been called will not receive understanding. As a matter of fact, they will receive less understanding so that they will not turn to him and be saved. How could God? I thought God was a God of love. Aren't you a rebel? Aren't we all rebels? Does he have to save everyone? But he should want to. Now you're trying to define what God should be. 
By what? By your own standards. And you are not the judge of how God should act. God is the judge of how God should act. You don't believe me? Go to John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he has performed so many signs before them, yet they were not willing to believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes, perceive with their heart and be converted. And I will heal them. So what does he do? He does not even bother to quiet their complaints by clarifying who he is. Instead, let me add to your misunderstanding. He doesn't say, hey, guys, wait a minute. Really? I, I'm not really from Nazareth. And, and guess what? Joseph is not really my dad. Yeah, he raised me, but I was actually born of a virgin in the city of David, Bethlehem. This was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. He doesn't do any of that. He could have. And some of us think that he should have. He actually did tell me hey, I'm from heaven. But, but we think he should do that. He should make it as clear to them as possible, because we all think that somehow God is, is wrong for not saving everyone. Even though we are all guilty of sin, even though we are all rebels against God, the fact that he saves anyone is what we should thank God for. I remember sitting with the the Jehovah's Witness kid just a few weeks ago and him saying, as I explained this gospel to him, wait a minute, but God loves everyone. And I began to explain to him, so then is everyone going to be saved? Well, yeah, eventually. And I said, where do you find that in the Bible? Everyone's going to be saved. I don't see that. They stood there, heard the gospel, and the more they heard, the more that they were bewildered by what came out of his mouth. And they refused to believe. Why? Because they didn't understand what he was talking about. Their unbelief, and anyone's unbelief, is evidence of this one thing, the hardness of their heart. It's not your inability to explain the gospel. It is... The evidence of the hardness of their heart. It is their inability to believe. It's not your lack of of being able to to speak in certain ways to where you have to call me up and say, Pastor, you explain it. You can do it better than I can. No, don't call me. You do it. And if they don't believe, it's not because you're not doing your job. It's because their hearts are hardened to the truth. And doesn't it seem like the more you speak, the more confused they are. They're like, well, what do you I don't get it. What are you talking about? You need to read what we just read in Matthew 13 and John chapter 12. That's what's going on. How crazy is that? What's the purpose of this? Why would God do that? Do you realize that in Romans chapter 11, the Bible tells us that the blinding of Israel to the, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ caused the gospel to be taken to the Gentiles, you and I. There was a great purpose in their refusal of the gospel because the gospel then went to the Gentiles, you and I. To the glory of God. Number two, here's the rebuke of Christ. Verse 43, Jesus answered them. If that didn't make sense, what I just said, then the next verses will make sense and clarify why it makes sense. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he was from God. He has seen the father. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that they may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for, for life of the world is my flesh. I'm going to go there in just a minute. Stop complaining. Stop your grumbling. Stop your rebellion. Do not grumble among yourselves. He said enough. He did enough. What more must I do? What more must I say? They have already rejected Christ in their heart. So enough with your complaints. Enough with your grumbling. If you cannot see who he is by his power, then the logic that he's going to share with you is not going to help. It's not going to make any sense because the, the sign was to get you up to bat. And the gospel was the home run. But if you won't even believe because of the sign, then you can't even get up to bat. You can't even get up to bat because you're confused about the sign. So here it is. Verse 44. And here's what it, what it all comes down to. No one can come to me. Circle can in your Bible if you have the, the pen to write on your Bible if you like to do that. Unless the father who sent me draws it. And I will raise him up on the last day. I could spend months on this passage, but the reality is this. No matter what I say to you now, he says, no matter what I show you now, close and closely now, the only way that you're going to come to me, to Christ, is that the Father draws you. Jesus sees their complaining, rebukes their complaining, and then explains to them why they're complaining. Because you don't believe, and the reason why you don't believe is because the Father is not drawing you. There's only one way. You will not, you could not come to me on your own. Right. I understand why you don't. Why, <laughs> looking at them, he says to them, I understand why you're complaining. I understand why you're arguing. I understand why you have discontent with me. And here's what it all comes down to. Me, comes down to. Unless the Father is drawing you, you're not going to come to me. That's right. Amen. So no matter what I say. No matter what I do, it doesn't matter. Because the only way you're going to come to me is if the Father is drawing you. So I understand you're grumbling because you're not mine. I understand you're complaining because you're not mine. I understand your rejection because you're not mine. The reason why the Father would draw you is because, or draw you, is because you have belonged to Him from the foundation of the earth. And if you're not coming... It's because you've not belonged. It's your, if you're not coming, it's because he's not foreknown you. Yes. Yes. It's just like he said in verse 36. I say to you that you've seen me, yet you do not believe. And then it explains why they don't believe. All that the Father has given me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I know why you don't believe. I know why you don't come. Because you don't belong to me. Right. All that the Father has given me will come. If you're not coming to me, then the Father is not giving you to me. Yes. <clears throat> that is why, and let me be very careful how I say this. That is why this church has gone from full, slightly, to sporadic. Because you can't get away with texting and thinking that you're okay in this church while the sermon is going forth. You can't get away with chatting with your neighbor and thinking this is a joke and that I am the comedian up here who's just giving you a bunch of one-liners. That those who belong to him will come to him. 
And it'll be a serious thing to them. Amen. It will not be a game. That's right. The gospel is too humbling for the proud, though. Yes. The gospel is beyond the human mind. Yes. The gospel is beyond the human will. Yes. The gospel is too demanding for rebellious people. The gospel is too lofty for the darkened mind. The gospel is too holy for earthbound corruption. If that's the case, then how do you get to God? If that's the case concerning the gospel, then how do you get to God? I've said this before in our, in our Doctors of Grace series. How does the person who is sick make himself well? How does the blind man make himself see? How can the heart that loves darkness make itself love light? And ultimately, how does the dead man bring himself back to life? Or bring himself to life. Forget back to life because he's always been dead. Bring himself to life. These are questions that you should ask the people who are questioning your reformed church. Mm-hmm. Ask them these series of questions. Amen. No one can. He can't. No one seeks God. Romans 3. No one pursues God. Is God lost? Is God lost? Then how do you go seeking for God? How do you seek God if God is lost? God is not lost. You are lost. We are lost. I missed a verse that speaks of the lost sheep going and looking for the shepherd. The shepherd goes and after the lost sheep, does he not? It's a matter of moral inability. Man cannot choose God. Man does not want God. Man does not want God. He says in Matthew 12, 34, how can you being evil speak good things? You can't. Question or answer. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth that is coming into the world, the world cannot receive. it. It's contrary to our nature. Jesus says you can't come. You don't have the ability apart from the drawing power of God. I hear people say all the time, but the Bible says that we have free will, does it? Show me. I bet you anything, it'll be right next to the place in the Bible that says tomorrow is promised to no man, which is right next to the serenity prayer, which says God grant me the serenity to, which means it's nowhere there. You won't find tomorrow's promise to no man in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. I don't know why we quote that so often. Use your free will. That's nowhere in the Bible. As the serenity prayer is nowhere in the Bible. They're not there. Amen. And if that's the case, then why do you pray for your loved ones that God would save them? Mm. Why don't you pray, God, help them to use your, their free will to turn to you? Mm. You've never prayed that, have you? Why? Because instinctively, instinctively, you know that this is God's work. Instinctively, you know that it has something to do with God and less to do with us. God save them. Who are you putting it all on? God. And then you go to them and say, but you just got to choose. You're double talking. That's right. Amen. You will not find one place in the Bible that says free will. And here's where you do find free will. You find free will in the Bible and it's always followed by one word. Offering. Free will offering of the Old Testament. In Ezra, you'll see that the, the children of Israel taking a free will journey. But you never see free will in the sense of use your free will in order to save yourself. Why? Because free will does not apply to man. 
you're not free. That's why that's why the, the, the book written bondage of the will, because Romans tells us that you're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave to sin. Either way, you're a slave to someone. You are free. Now I'm double talking. And you're free to choose what you desire. But guess what you desire because of your depravity? You only desire sin. So if you want to say, I'm free. Yes, you are free. You are free to choose that which you desire most. And guess what you desire most as a depraved human being? You desire sin. Unless Christ comes, God the Father comes through the power of the Holy Spirit and changes your desires, you will only desire sin. That's right. Amen. Amen. He has to come and change your desires. Yes. The fact of the matter is that you do not, you and I do not have the ability to come to the Father or to come to to the Father, to come to Christ unless we are drawn by the Father. We choose according to our greatest desires. This is what uh, John Jonathan Edwards was speaking about. Unless our desires are changed by God, then we will not desire God. Unless there is a a, a spiritual surgery of the heart then there will be no desire in God. And God must do that surgery. It is a circumcision of the heart. Man can circumcise the flesh, but only God can circumcise the heart. Amen. Amen. He must change our desires or we will never come to God. And the only ones who come to God are the ones who have been drawn by God. So unless He makes you want to come, then you will not come. And you only come because he makes you come. Otherwise, you don't want to come. <laughs> Our wills must be changed by God. Romans 7 says that the carnal mind is what? Hostile toward God. The unchanged mind, the unregenerate mind is hostile toward God. Jeremiah said, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? How can you who are accustomed to doing, how can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil? Answer is, you can't. That's right. Amen. So it sounds like it's all on God. Yep, now you're a Calvinist. It's that easy. This is the point that Jesus is making to the crowds. Imagine hearing all of your life that you can do it on your own, then Jesus coming and saying, no, you can't. Let me clarify to you what the Bible has always taught. This must have been what, must, must have, been what Nicodemus was thinking when he says, how can this be? In John chapter 3. What happens? They come, verse 37. And when they come, verse 39, they stay. He draws them, they come, they stay, and then he raises them up on the last day. That rhyme, not intentionally. That's the security of the believer. This is the point that Jesus is getting at. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to make this more clear for you so that you can understand that you are coming only if the Father draws you. And if he does, then you are mine. But if not, I'm not wasting my time trying to make this more clear for you. Instead, I'm going to make it more confusing. He says to them, you don't have the ability to come. I can tell you that it has been passages like John chapter 6, all throughout this, this chapter, that have convinced me of my Calvinism. Because... If this means what it obviously says, 
then there are no contradictions in the Bible. Right? If this means what it obviously says, and then we go back and say, but it says over here, now you're telling me this book is full of contradictions. There must be some continuity. There must be some, some consistency here. If not, then this book is a book of contradictions. That's what convinced me. I looked at John chapter 6 and Romans chapter 9 and so on and so forth, and I said, this has to mean what it, what it says. If it doesn't, then this book is full of contradictions. So next time someone has a problem with your Reformed theology, take them to John chapter 6 and say, tell me what every single one of these verses means. Amen. And then ask them this, are there any contradictions in the Bible? Because if this means what it obviously does mean, then we should all be Calvinists. It's weird how some of my friends say, I never say that word in church. Why not? I just explained it. It's what the Bible teaches. Hopefully that doesn't make you uncomfortable. And if it does, you need to go back and read what I just read. Because that's what the scriptures teach. Verse 45. And here's what he goes on to say. And it was written by the prophets and they will all be taught. What is he doing? He's calling himself God. Yes. But he's also saying what I just said to you. All the prophets have been teaching this. Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, you read through the Bible. Yes. The prophets have been teaching. Where did you? Why, how did you miss this? No man can come to me unless the father draws him. Yes. They are being taught by God. Amen. He says to them, those who have saving faith, their hearts have been opened by God. Therefore, they are now being instructed by God. If you have been if you have trusted in Christ. You placed your faith in him. Guess who did that? God. Why? So that those who have even more will be given to them. Amen. Do you see how it's all connecting? That he opens your heart. He begins to teach you so that you will grow in understanding. Yes. God is teaching you. Yes. It's not me. Right. It's God. And he's saying, and this is what the prophets have always taught. Oh, you don't get it because you're blind. That's what's going on right here. That's what he's trying to say to them. That's why you don't get it. Because you're blind. They've responded to the truth. We who have, have, have our faith, in, we've responded to the truth and we are being instructed by God. It's nothing new. This is what has always been taught. John Calvin didn't make this up. We find it in the scriptures. This is Bible. Verse 45. Everyone who has and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. If you've heard, then you come to me. Because that's where the Father takes you. The Father takes you when you have heard and understand. He takes you to Christ. He doesn't take you to Muhammad. He doesn't take you to Buddha. He doesn't take you to Hinduism. He doesn't take you to Rastafarianism. He doesn't take you to politicalism, to where politics become your God. If God has opened your heart, he takes you to Christ. Amen. That's the journey. It's a narrow road, but that's where he takes you. If God opens your eyes, if the Father draws you to him, the place that he draws you is to Christ. Anywhere else, it's not the Father drawing you. It's not the Father drawing you. They prided themselves on being taught by God. And he said to them, if you had really been taught by God, then you'd come to me. Amen. Because that's where God takes you. Amen. 
to Christ. And he goes on to his final point, the restatement of Christ. And he says to them in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And I am the bread of life. I love this part. He goes, your fathers ate men in the wilderness and they died. Take your eyes off the physical. He is the bread of life, the bread that will satisfy you. And if you're so worried about those who ate men in the desert, if you're so fixated on them, guess what happened to them? They died. They died and they died in their unbelief. They, they died with full bellies in unbelief. Full bellies in unbelief, as will every single person who pursues the riches of this world. They will die with full bellies right. in unbelief That's and right. go straight to hell That's right. in their unbelief. Amen. Or let me say it another way. Those who pursued bread rather than the bread of life. Amen. Because you may be sitting here saying, well, I ain't rich, so I'm okay. So let's flip it. <laughs> Those of you who are pursuing bread. Rather than the bread of life. Amen. You fill in the blank of what your bread is. Amen. Amen. They died. Don't look to them as the standard because they died in unbelief. Amen. Yeah, their bellies were full. They were satisfied, but they died in unbelief. Verse 50 says this. This is the bread that came down from heaven. So that one may eat of it and not die. Mm -hmm. Christ is the bread of life. Mm -hmm. And if you are hearing today and you are believing what is being said, then you are being drawn by the Father to the Son. And do not refuse that drawing. Amen. They will become more hostile to Christ. To where there is only a few standing. And the question is really for you. Will you be one of those standing at the end when he gives hard sayings that to the rest of the people don't make sense. But for you, you stand there and say, this makes complete sense. My satisfaction is found in him and him alone. And if I'm going to live, it's going to be through my trusting in him because the grace that he's given me to see that he's all I need. Let's stand.